0: Good evening and welcome to Sunday Night Live. All right. You know, it's been a little bit of an emotional day for me. So I think a pick-me-up would be a good thing. Everybody stand back up. I'm sorry. What is this? Did you guys all coordinate your outfits tonight? Is this the Purina row? Is that what it is? makes me want to go buy some dog food I'll tell you all right well we're gonna have some we haven't sang this song in a while but you got to kind of be mobile to do it so feel free to get out of your row and shake hands or hug or whatever you need to do so Jesus is a friend is a friend next to you Jesus is a friend so sing along Jesus is a friend is a friend next to you Jesus is a friend so Sing hallelujah, 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 shake somebody's hand, shake a hand next to ya, shake somebody's hand and sing along, shake somebody's hand, shake a hand next to ya, shake somebody's hand and sing. Sing up, ha la 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 hug la 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 a hug. Sing Give a high five, give a high next to give a high five and sing along Give a high five, give a high next to give a high five Sing ya, ha la 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 hallelujah, ha la 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 ha la 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 ha la 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 Let's get contemporary bump somebody's fist, bump a fist next to ya, bump somebody's fist and sing Bump somebody's fist, bump a fist next to ya, bump somebody's fist and sing sing up. Hallelujah. 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 My mom would say, that's enough tomfoolery for one night. That Tom guy, he must have gotten a lot of trouble, I tell you. All right. We are studying the Parables. And tonight we're in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And this story that Jesus will tell is prompted by a question by Peter. Oh, Peter. Sometimes I wonder if Peter was that student in the classroom who just liked to ask questions so he could talk. You know, you know that kind of student. The one who would ask questions so people would know how smart he was. And make everybody else know that. I mean, Peter, he just blurts stuff out half the time. I think that's why I'm so endeared to him. He had a big mouth and he stuck his foot in it a lot. Well, right here, he asked the Lord a question. I think he's sincere in it. I wouldn't imagine that he's probably just had an encounter with somebody that made him very frustrated. And we've all had those encounters. And we will always continue to have those encounters. As he asks, it says, Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, I would think that Peter thought that his answer was, you know, the answer that is very generous. How about seven times, Lord? Seven times. And the Lord responds with a very different answer. He says, Well, I say to you, not up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And of course, we know that Jesus is not trying to get a a mathematical formula as to how often we have to forgive somebody. He's simply trying to illustrate because the number seven to the Hebrews is a comprehensive number. It means complete. So when he has 70 times seven, that doesn't equal 490 in the mind of Christ, that equals no limits, complete forgiveness. And that's his message here. And we certainly can understand Peter's question. There have been folks in my life that it's been challenging to forgive. I lived in motivational bitterness for two or three years, Lenore could tell you. When I was going off to Sunset School of Preaching, I was 20 years old. Lenore and I had known each other For about three months when we got engaged and then about three months later we got married and then I decided I was going to go to preaching school. I've been in college as a Bible major, jumped around to a couple of colleges and the church where I had spent the last several years where my dad preached in Richland, Washington, going to preaching school, you're not allowed to have a job, it's an intensive program and I'm immature, I'm 20 years old, just found a girl, decided in their mind just like that I'm going to get married and go off to preaching school and then I go and ask the church for money. Will you support me? And the missions committee, you know, those missions committees, they met. And they called me in. And here I'm 20 years old. And Lenore and I go in and meet with the missions committee. And the chairman was Willis Lindholm. I will never forget his name, and I will never forget his face. Mm. He was the missions deacon. But they had a committee that made those decisions. And sat down, and he said, You're wanting to go to Sunset, you're getting married, you haven't known this girl very long, but you all are getting married, you know, there's some implication in that. He said, I want to tell you that we've decided as a committee that we're going to support you. I think they supported us $400 a month, and that's what we lived on or something like that. That and the government cheese, Sunset supplied. And so he said, we're going to support you. And I said, you know, I was so relieved. He said, but I want you also to know that I was the one vote against it. I said, okay, Brother Lindholm. He said, I want you to know, and if he's watching this on video, I hope you feel good about yourself, buddy. I turned out all right, you know. But, looking right at the camera. But Willis Lindholm, he told me, he said, he said I find you to be somewhat flighty. And I think that you just make hasty decisions and you don't have any stick to about you at all. And I figure you'll be right back here living with your parents, with a wife, because you're going you're gonna to wash out at School of Preaching. But everybody else on the committee wants to give you the money because we love your dad. So I just wanted you to know how I felt about it. What do you say? I said, well, okay, thank you. Uh, I didn't know what to say. But I'm telling you, I have become, Brother Willis, let me tell you, I forgive you and I appreciate it because every time I was tempted to not finish a project at three o'clock in the morning, these are what, this is what ran through my mind, Willis Lindholm. (laughs) I mean, I was going to prove that guy wrong if it killed me. And sure enough, I got through school. And we went and started preaching in a little church just south of there about an hour in Pendleton, Oregon. And every time I went to visit my mom and dad, boy, it was it was good to tell brother. Oh, and I, every time I got my grades, I sent it to the church. You know, they were my supporters. And I'd circle or highlight the A's, you know. And and I wanted to put on there, show this to brother lindholm But, you know, with maturity, I realized he probably did me a favor because he helped me. But I was somewhat upset about that. You know, it would hurt. People don't have confidence in you. And, you know, we have so many instances in life where people just, they're going to do us wrong. Even people that love us are going to do us wrong. And most people that don't love us are going to do us wrong. Because human beings, if you haven't figured this out yet, I got a revelation for you. Human beings are inherently flawed. Right? Wow. Didn't know that. They're flawed. But here's the thing. I've done people wrong too. Sometimes unintentionally. But I've done people wrong and so have you. And this message about forgiveness is so very important. Because when you live in a world without forgiveness. Then you live in a world of loneliness. And you live in a world of isolation. And you live in a world where you are eaten up from the inside out. And you know this, if you've lived with bitterness that it destroys you so much more. Here's the thing, I know Willis Lindholm probably isn't gonna watch this video. And even if I still carried that bitterness towards him after all these years, he wouldn't care. The only person it would hurt would be me and the people immediately around me in my life. So Jesus is going to Help us understand and help Peter understand through a great and powerful story. Now, I will tell you this. We have heard all of our lives that we need to forgive and forget. That's not exactly true because that's an impossibility for a human being. Now, God has the ability. He tells us in Jeremiah that in the New Covenant, he says, "In their sins I will remember no more. God has an intellect beyond our ability to comprehend, and he has the ability to forget to choose to forget, but you and I do not, especially when something needs to be forgiven because it's a real hurt. I still remember Willis Lindholm's name after all these years. And if people have hurt you, I mean hurt you, you're going to remember that. What we can do, however, is we can forgive and treat people as if we forget. And what that means, and this is, I had to throw this in, although it's kind of an addition to our lesson, because in counseling for the last 30 years, I have seen so many folks come in and there's been a lot of hurt, particularly in marriages or in families, and especially if it's been a deep hurt, infidelity or other deep hurts that are done, and one of the things I can promise you this, if there's forgiveness without treating the other person as if you forget there is no way that relationship will ever really work. Because no matter how wrong a person knows they are, they can't live with being reminded of their guilt day after day after day. Now, it's perfectly fine to rebuild trust. But there has to be a sense of real forgiveness. People can't do better if they don't really feel forgiven. I heard the story of a fella who went to his preacher and said, I don't, I don't know what to do. My wife gets mad all the time and she gets historical. And the preacher said, don't you mean hysterical? And he said, no, I mean historical. She brings up every single thing I ever did all my life. She gets historical. The thing is, is that you can't forget deep hurts. You can't, but they do get better with time. Time is a magnificent physician. They get better with time. But what you can do is you can choose not to be historical. You can choose not to, every time you want to bring it up, you do. Every time the hurt comes up, you can use self-control to hold it back. Because without that, there really can't be. No one can be redeemed unless they feel redeemed. No one can really live as if they're forgiven unless they feel forgiven. So Jesus is going to get into this great story, and I'll tell you, the details of it are almost beyond belief. Because it says in verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. Now we have to be careful in trying to insert whatever our interpretation is to this. Because whatever it is, you're wrong. It is not the equivalent of ten thousand dollars. It's not the equivalent of you know ten you know a hundred thousand dollars. Whatever you think that is, let me explain. In my research I found that a talent equaled one talent equaled six thousand denarii. Six thousand denarii and in Roman times, one denarii equaled a typical day's wage for a laborer. So if you went and worked one day, you were paid a denarii. That's a typical wage for a laborer. Now let's try to do the math. Okay, so 10,000 talents. Uh, uh, one talent is 6,000 days wages. So let's be very 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 conservative. Below even minimum wage. Let's imagine that a day's wage is $50. Now that wouldn't be a terribly great day's wage for an 8 hours of labor, would it? I mean, what, $6 an hour, $7 an hour. So 50, we're being conservative with that number, right? $50. If you do the math, $50 as a day's wage times 6,000 times 10,000, what he owed them in today's money, if $50 is a day's wage, and it's not, that's far less than most people's day's wage, then he owed him $3 billion. $3 billion. You see, Jesus threw out a number that was so astronomical It was almost beyond belief. We talk about paying off our building here. And we talk about these big numbers, $600,000 or whatever. Listen, can you imagine how much stress we'd have if we owed $3 billion on this building? Could we... Don, where's he at? Here. Would our our contribution cover the interest? What if we got a 1% interest? Would our contribution cover the interest? No. If we got a percent of 1% interest, it, it is so much. It is an astronomical sum. But listen to how the story progresses. It says, He came to him and he owed 10,000 talents, verse 25. But when he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and with his children, and all that he had, and the payment be made. Now that's a pretty stern penalty. But it's $3 billion. So the only way he can recoup even a portion is going to sell him and his wife and his children and everything he owns into slavery and recover. And that won't even touch it, right? Won't even touch a day's interest on it. But that's the penalty. And it's more than fair under an ancient system. It's more than fair. In fact, it doesn't even begin to recoup the king, his losses. But it says, the servant therefore fell down before the king, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now, he's not telling the truth. Who can pay three billion dollars? He, he won't ever be able to do it. But he's saying, give me time. Just give me, give me some hope. Anything. And it says in verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him. And he forgave the debt. Now you see, this is a powerful illustration because we know that the debt, Christ's not talking about a sum of money. In fact, this story, Christ is telling a story to illustrate a point, as all the parables have done. But in there, we see metaphors that are applicable to real things. And Jesus is talking about the debt of sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 2, the prophet speaks about sin and he says, Behold, the hand, Lord's hand is not shortened. They cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We sing a song, he paid a debt he did not owe. And I owed a debt I could not pay. It tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 6, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's what sin deserves. And when we talk, we talk about sin very casually and we throw out that, that word so loosely, but we sometimes can forget the gravity of sin. The wages of sin. How many sins is death? One. One. I've heard people say, how is it fair that the murderer is lost forever and he's, con- he's doomed to eternal punishment? The same as the guy who tells a little white lie. How is that just? The same way we do it in our culture. What, you know what you get for being a serial killer and murdering like Ted Bundy, hundreds of people? The same thing you get for murdering one. Do you know why that is? There's nothing else to take. It's not that the mass murderer is not, his crime wasn't worse than the one who maybe committed one crime of passion. It's that there's not more that can be done to them than to take their life. The wages of one sin is eternal separation from God. So it's not a question of this person's better or worse than this other person. It's a question of what's the penalty and there's no more penalty to give. There's nothing worse that God can give the adulterer than he gives the liar. Eternal death. And when you really think about it, this Story should soak in to us. Because he paid a debt he did not owe. Big debt. Because I owed a debt I could not pay. You know, lest we get tempted to make comparisons. Or to think, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, I pay my taxes for the most part. You know, unless I buy a, something under the table from somebody. But that's not a big deal, you know. I, I pay my taxes for the most part. I'm good. To, I might even put a coin or two in that Salvation Army bucket at Christmas time's coming up. I'll be generous. I do good to people. I'm kind to my, all this stuff. But you look at all, look at the guy down the street. I mean, he's so much worse. Okay, let's just imagine. What do you think a good person, what do you think their life looks like in regard to sin? I don't think of anybody who's more of a saint than my grandmother. But my grandma she had her moments. I remember mostly all good, kind, loving, godly spiritual fell asleep every night with her head in her Bible because she wouldn't go to bed without reading her Bible. But I heard my grandma get upset a few times and let loose some Kentucky words <laughs> that Carrie would have got, you know, whooped for saying. I've seen her, I saw her gossip a few times, you know. I don't know, what do you think a good person, What the, out of a 24-hour day, what do you think a good person's life look? You think maybe a person who sinned only three times a day? I mean, all sins included, telling little lies or having you know, jealous thoughts or, or a person who's envious of others or gossip or whatever it may be or being a little harsh with somebody when they shouldn't, losing their temper. Would you think that a person who only sinned three times a day is a pretty good person? You think there are people who sin more than three time, times a day? I think there are people who literally sin three times a minute. I mean, don't you think? I've heard them because I've heard more than three of those words in one sentence. So three times, that'd be a pretty holy person, wouldn't it? That'd be a pretty righteous person. Let's just do a little math. Say you come to Christ at the age of 20. And you pass from this world into the next at the age of 80. That means you have 60 years of accountability. And if you only sin three times a day, 365 days a year, that's approximately 1,000 sins per year. Times 60. You're only owed, I mean, and that's the best of people, right? You're only owed 60,000 death sentences. He paid a debt he did not owe. Because I owed a debt I could not pay you see this story only soaks in it only has the right kind of gravity on our hearts when we understand how much we've been saved from when we understand how wrong we've done it in the Old Testament God uses the illustration of adultery of infidelity to apply to sin and talks about how it breaks his heart in the story of Hosea and Gomer He uses that tragic, tragic story of a marriage, a broken marriage, to illustrate how his people have turned away when they should have worshipped and loved him and they sinned. And he uses that idea of adultery. And I've told you before, I want my kids to be like God, but I struggle in this because I don't know if I want them to be like God in that. I don't want my daughter to have somebody who breaks her heart a hundred times and she forgives him every single time, keeps going back to him. Just because he says, I'm sorry, forgive me. But that's our God. A love amazing, so divine. And here's the thing, it wasn't just the Israelites that broke his heart. You've broke his heart. I've broke his heart. And I promise you, it's more than once. Yet we sit here tonight forgiven. We sit here tonight in hope. We sit here tonight redeemed and made. You see, the great thing about this is all the man asked for was a little bit of time. But God gave him more than he asked for. And here's here's the beauty of it is I'm not looking at a heavenly home where I get to sweep those golden streets forever. And that would be more than I deserve, and more than you deserve. I'm looking at a heavenly home where I get a mansion, a robe, and a crown. Where I'm not made a beggar. But as the prodigal son went home and said, just make me, just make me a servant. No. Here's the robe, here's the ring. Here's sandals for your feet because all is forgiven and you are a son. Even though you deserve 60,000 death sentences at our best. He gave him abundantly more even than he asked for. See when we allow that gra- that to, the gravity of that just to soak in. I heard this illustration years ago from Larry West, and it's impacted me because he told the story of trying to compare your sins to somebody else. As three men are running from a forest fire, and they come up to a great chasm, a canyon, and it's so far across they can't hardly see the other side. But they're about to be consumed. They feel the heat on their back; it's raging towards them. They can hear the roar of the flames. And in desperation, knowing they'll never make it to the other side, the first one runs and he leaps trying to make it to the other side, knowing he can't. And sure enough, it's an impressive leap. In fact, he leaps farther than any man had ever leapt before. He would have held the world record long jump. And the second man comes up and he's more average. He makes it about six or eight feet and the third one he's got some physical issues some handicap and he just kind of falls over the edge and how ridiculous would it be for that first man to look back and say look at that jump I made look how far I got and look back at the other two and say man I made it a lot farther than those I'm better than either one of those guys because you know why that is so ridiculous Because that pride will only last a moment. And then they'll realize one thing. Even if I'm the best jumper in the world. I'm not good enough. Because the guy who just falls over the edge. Here's the thing. The best person who just tells an occasional lie. Or just has an occasional bout of jealousy. They may be, quote, better than everybody else, but they all end up at the bottom. Because the best isn't good enough. That's what we have to understand and allow to soak into our hearts to really get the message of this story. Jesus continues and he tells us in verse 28, but that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. So that's 100 days wages. If we use the same math equation, it's $50 a day, that would be $5,000. Now we would all agree, $5,000, that's a, that's a somewhat significant sum, right? Until you think about what he owed. Do you know what $5,000 Looks like in comparison to three billion. Now by itself, it seems somewhat significant. But compared to the other, it's totally insignificant. Isn't that right? And this man, how does he handle this? But the servant, he went out and he, he laid his hands on him and he took him by the throat. Saying, pay me what you owe. Suddenly he doesn't have to pay on that terrible debt. So this is just profit now. Pay me what you owe. So the fellow servant fell down at his feet. And he begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not. He withdrew and he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So while the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. The master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you and the master was angry and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And Jesus concludes the story and I think Peter is probably wishing he'd never asked. Because Jesus says, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive my brother, your brother, his trespass. You see, when Don does me wrong, I use you as an illustration a lot. I'm not sure if it's because of you or where you sit. But when Don does me wrong, he cannot do me as wrong as I've done the Lord. Isn't that right? I mean, no matter what, he can't do me that wrong. And when I won't forgive him, You know what that says to what the Lord's done for me? It spits on His mercy. It spits on His mercy. And, you know, the Lord is a very compassionate, very forgiving God. But on this subject, He says plainly, God forgives those who know they're forgiven. And in gratitude of that forgiveness, extend the same mercy To others. There's just no way. It could be said more plainly. Than what Jesus teaches us. You see we've been forgiven so much. I read the story of a. I don't know if it's true or not. But of a Zulu priest. Who. A tribal priest. And he, he had a wife who was interested. In what the missionaries were doing. And he had forbid her. To go to any of those Christian services. But she was so interested. And she did. And she believed in Christ. And he found out about it. And he saw, met her on the road coming home. And he beat her within an inch of her life. And left her for dead. And then later he wondered if she died or not. And he came back in his cold heartedness. And he saw that she had crawled up under some bushes and a tree. And he tracked her and found her. And he asked her. He said, what will your Jesus do for you now? And she said, he could help me forgive you. See, we have the power to do what sometimes we don't think we can. When we understand all that was done for us. I love, I think the greatest passage on forgiveness perhaps in the scriptures is just the testimony given in 1 Peter chapter 1, 12 through 17 as the torturer, persecutor, and murderer of Christ people. It says in verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy Because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Can't you hear Paul's voice as he speaks this? With faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the chief. However. For this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering and patience to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. You see, Paul was able to still love those who stoned him and beat him and imprisoned him, caused him to be shipwrecked, and he was able to teach and convert the guards that held him until the day he was beheaded because he knew what he was and he understood all God had done for him. This evening as we conclude, I know that in all likelihood out of this big crowd here tonight and we have a great crowd, I know there's most likely someone here that you're holding some unforgiveness in your heart. Some bitterness. And it's eating at you. I ask you simply to do this. Take a moment to reflect on how many times, how many things you've been forgiven of. If you need to change your heart. If you need to forgive anyone in the world tonight. It may be tough. It may be someone who's already passed from this life. Someone who did you wrong. And now that they're gone. You can't express that. And you've just let it bound up inside you. And it's it's affecting all that you are. Bitterness is a cancer in the soul. And it will eat you alive from within. Let it go. Let it go. And bask in the glory of being forgiven. If you need to come, nobody here is going to judge you. We've all had to walk this road. Come right now as we stand and as we sing.